Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Welcome to episode 283. We'll talk to Brooke Eden, newish artist. She's been in town for a little bit, but uh, she has a great new song. Also, uh, how she knew Tim Tebow. Also, when she went on American Idol, it didn't turn out that good for her. Also, what other stars she went to high school with. It's a good interview. You guys hang out for that. The top 10 richest songs, meaning the single song that made the most money. And obviously, we started every week with the new music top five. At number five, Willie Nelson has a new album called That's Life. Here's a new song called I Won't Dance featuring Diana Krall. Here you go. I won't dance, why should I? I won't dance, how could I? I won't dance, I won't dance. I know that. That was a, the uh, Dancing with the Stars, like one of the themes that we oh, did. Really? I won't, yeah, but Willie slowed it down. Still big instruments in there. But yeah, that's how I know that song from Dancing with the Stars. Uh, at number four, Green Day has a new song out called Here Comes the Shock. 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 I was explaining to Caitlin how influential Green Day was back in the day, how cool they were then. She's like, I don't get it. Really? Yeah, she just wasn't ever exposed to it until it was over. And now they're back and, you know, trying to do stuff, but they're never going to be as relevant as they were when, you know, their first three or four albums. But yeah, they made punk pop. Yeah. It was them. Changed everything. Uh, so, in le- but for me, like, Bob Dylan's a little overrated to me, but only because I didn't get to experience that. Hmm. So I understand some of the stuff that she's feeling. Green Day is awesome to me because I was a kid and you're a punk guy. Yeah. So you also get it from that, they were like that vein. The Mecca, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three. This TikToker, Sean Williams, put out a song called Where You Left Me. And I put this on here because he came on the radio show this week. He's one of the guys that I said, hey, you guys stitch me in something and I'll bring some of you in. He came in, he performed, he was great. So you guys check out this song, Where You Left Me. Cause you want me only when you want me. But when I need you, you're not there. When you call I just wish you see out that ain't fair. Pretty good. It's good. There you go. That's at number three. His name is Sean Williams. At number two, Post Malone put out a cover of Hootie and the Blowfish's Only Wanna Be With You. Here's Post Post version. I'm such a baby cause the cowboys make me cry. But there's nothing I can do. I've been looking for a good like you. I was worried because I love Hootie, but it's really good. Yeah. yeah. And then my number one song is my guy, Brandon Ray. He put out a new song called Used To. High heels in your hands, so caught up girl watching you. 
caught up something I could get you That song's really good. That song's really good. It feels like like his style of kind of country rock meets like a solid Jonas Brothers pop yeah, song. Like a Nick Jonas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that might be the best straight ahead radio song he's put out in a long time. That That's a jam, man. So caught up girl watching you. Caught up something I could get you. I like, I like the low in there too. <laughs> Dang. I could get you. Just uh, running through some other stuff. Uh, Eric Church put a new song out called Never Break Heart. He first debuted the song back in April for ACM Presents, but it's out now. Carrie Underwood has a new song called Great Is Thy Faithfulness. Uh, Faithfulness. The band Camino has a new song called One Last Cigarette. Uh, there's something here. I don't even know who this is, but you like this Ju- Julian Baker? Julian Baker, yeah. Do I know him? No, it's a girl. Oh, that's why. I don't know him. <laughs> okay. Here's a new song called Hardline. Okay, that feels like something I listen to. Very sad. New albums, Alice Cooper, Madison Beer, Josh Groban, Bonnie Tyler, and Neil Young and Crazy Horse. Um, way down in the rust bucket, film and double album. There you go. Uh, Daft Punk calls it quits after 28 years, and obviously when that happens, they sell a whole bunch more music. Oh, yeah. All right, we started dancing. Taylor Swift's Love Story tops the charts. The new version of Love Story sits atop Billboard's Hot Country Songs chart. So congratulations to her. I don't hear the differences. Did you? I can hear it. I guess I just didn't listen enough to them side by side. I heard it on the radio, and I was like, oh, I like the song. Her voice is just stronger. You can hear that. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Ro- uh, Thomas Rhett's playing Billy Bob's a few times, so music's kind of happening again. Tina Turner has a documentary coming to HBO Max on March 27th. In other news, prosecutors dropped the DWI and reckless driving charges against Bruce Springsteen, which was a weird story anyway, right? Yeah. He wasn't drunk. Just took a shot. He blew a .02, .08's the limit, but some fans gave him a shot while he was on his motorcycle, right? Yeah. At a park. And they're mm-hmm. like, hey, take a shot with this. So he's like, all right, took a shot. Cops saw him do it, pulled him over. Yeah. If that's the law and that's the rule, hey, go enforce it. It just seems like a dumb rule. Like, there should be, if you blow a .08, then that's you being intoxicated, right? Like, yeah. why do we have a standard if it doesn't always matter? But anyway, it got dropped. There you go. Those are your new songs, new music, and headlines. Now let's get into today's podcast interview style. Here with Brooke Eden. Brooke, it is good to see you. It's good to see you, Bobby. You know, I always feel like I know somebody until maybe the day before they come in, and I do kind of a deep dive just to go, okay, what have I missed over the years? Okay. And I guess we've known each other for about four or five years now, five or six yeah. years, something like that. Something um, there. I had no idea, and I because I, I work on American Idol now, I had no idea you went on that show. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, a long time ago, probably 13 years ago. Who? So that had to be the original crew. It was. It was Randy, Paul, and Simon. The cool thing about that experience is I met Mickey Guyton during that exact audition. Really? Yeah. Okay, let me ask some questions. Okay. Mostly just about the process because... Yeah. It's changed. It just, oh, completely. Because when you did it, it was a massive global phenomenon. Mm-hmm. We do it and we're like, we hope we get 10 million people to watch. You know, it's just, it's been around forever. We hope to pull in a good number. But when you did it, everybody talked about that show. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. And so when you auditioned for that, it was still when they were having the big outside of arena, people were lined up forever. Cattle calls is what they called it. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. you, and you showed up to that. Showed up to that. I was a senior in high school, getting ready to go into my freshman year of college. And yeah, I showed up to Atlanta, and there were I think fifteen thousand people that showed up. That's that day. crazy <laughs> to think crazy. about. Is that not what it is anymore? No, it's different because you know a lot of people they will reach out to us going, "Hey, I've, I've built this big YouTube following." This, okay, you know, it's just so different. Um, and yes, we'll do cattle calls as well. And there'll be 5,000 people show up 
on a really good one, we'll be like, man, this is awesome. It's just different. Like then it was not as much media to be able to consume. Americana was dominating the world. I just wondered if it was still, you know, popping hard when you did it. Oh, it was popping hard. How'd you meet Mickey Guyton? Mickey Guyton and I, so we got to the second round. Um, that day we were at the second round. There were like mm, 300 people left and in Atlanta. Out of 15,000. Out of 15,000. Uh-huh. And my hair was out to space from the humidity of Atlanta in the middle of the summer. And my mom was with me because I was just turned 18. And she was like, oh, God, honey, your hair is, your hair is bad. It's real frizzy. And Mickey had heard her talking to me. It must have been loud enough that Mickey was like, oh, poor girl. And she came up to me and was like, hey, sister, like, what's up? Um, I just heard you talking about your hair. I completely understand. I have a hair straightener in my backpack. Do you want me to plug it into the wall? I will straighten your hair for you. And I was so, like, overwhelmed with we're kind of competing against each other right Mm -hmm. now. And this girl just selflessly walks up to me and wants to straighten my hair for me to like help me with my confidence walking into this audition. And I was just like, what a cool chick. And um, so she did. She straightened my hair for me that day. We auditioned together. We both got to Hollywood. We both spent a week out in LA and had the best Hollywood week together. And um, six years later, we... I'm in Nashville at a songwriter's round and Mickey shows up and goes and sits down at the table that I'm sitting at. And I saw her and was like, Mickey? She's like, Brooke? Like, what are you doing here? Like American (laughs) Idol. Like it had been seven years since we had seen each other and we kept in in touch with each other over social media, but it was the first time that we had seen each other and she's like, I'm here now. And so it was just the coolest thing. Like she's always been such a comfort zone for me because she came into my life as a comfort zone. And so it was just so great to have her here in Nashville and and to have her at, you know, women of country events and all of those things. Like she's she's an old friend at this point. So yeah, it's that's cool. wild. That's, that, that happened so many years ago and you both ended up here around the same time. Yeah, yeah. So you go, you get the, the judges. First of all, the producers say yes. Yeah. Because that's a big part of it. You have to get through producers before you ever get to go in front of Simon, Randy, and Paula. The year that I went, there were six rounds before you got to Randy, wow. Paula, and Simon. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's about two because the, the producers know what they want. Totally. Or they know, okay, you're cut out for this or you're not. So you had to sing six times? Yeah. It was season seven. So it was, you know, it was definitely at the beginning. And I had to sing six different times. And then... Of course, you know, with Randy, Paul, and Simon, it was just, I was 18. Mm-hmm. I had not been out of my hometown, like, ever. What was that like seeing them in real life after watching them on TV as a young kid? It's the weirdest thing. Because they march you down and you walk into this room. Like, even when, because right now the judges are Luke, Brian, Katy Perry, and Lionel Richie. And they walk you down the room and these kids, who are probably fans of Katy Perry... Totally. Maybe a fan of Luke Bryan, depending on if they course. like country music. Right. And, and their parents are massive fans of Lionel Richie. Yes. But they look like, because they're all so famous, you just look at them and you're like, oh my God, you're so rich and famous. <laughs> and it's got to like set you back a little bit because they're iconic feeling. Totally. I think that was what was very, um, made me feel really vulnerable in that moment was why I like American Idol so much now is because the judges are very nice. Yeah, that's and, our rule now. There's no yeah. making fun of people. And at that time, I mean, Simon's whole spiel was still making fun of everybody, yeah. you know. So I was really nervous about that. And that's what that's what intimidated me about them. Now, I'm sure it's the fact that these are people that everyone looks up to. But at least you know that they're not going to like shit on you. Mm-hmm. They're going to be cool and they're going to, you know, help you. And so that's why I like the new direction that it's taken. But yeah, it was it was definitely intimidating walking in front of People that knew anything about music. Yeah, who knew? You talk about that. People who knew anything. I guess your dad played in a small like country band when you were a kid. Yeah, so yeah. Was, what was he a drummer? He's still, yeah, he's still in the Persuaders down in in West Palm Beach, <laughs> and he's the drummer, and he also sings some songs. Some like like he's he likes to sing low, so he'll sing like some Toby Keith and like you know maybe anything new that comes out. He likes to do like he does. Buy me a boat, and he likes to sing low. So how old were you when you first got to go up and sing with his band? I was four. 
Oh, you were really young. I was really little. It was illegal for sure. I was singing in like smoky bars. I sang, the first place I sang with him was a place called Rhinestones. So you're in these bars as a young kid. At what point when you're five, six, seven years old, are you like, okay, this is just, I just know this is what I want to do. Was it It was always? It was instant for me because it was, I was so young and especially at that age, you're just like looking for approval from anyone, you know, and it was like you get up on stage and I was cute and I could hold a tune. So people thought it was awesome and I'm making people smile and I'm like, that's, that's addictive. You know, it's, it's intoxicating to, to make people happy with something that's coming out of you. And I think, you know, especially I grew up with Shania Twain and Faith Hill and the Dixie Chicks and these incredible, you know, female country singers and kind of just like emulating what I saw on CMT or heard on the radio and, you know, and getting to go out and do that in front of people and make them happy doing what I liked doing. It just seemed pretty clear to me that that's what I wanted to do even when I was really small. When did you start to make money even playing in small bars on the weekends? Well, dad started putting, throwing out um, like his cowboy hat in the middle of the dance floor and people started tipping me like, actually it wasn't my dad that threw out a cowboy hat. It was like somebody that was at the bar, threw a cowboy hat and like threw a five in. And then people started tipping. And I mean, I would walk home with like, or not walk home, I would, you know, go home with $300 from singing three songs. As a kid, you know? And then, I mean, I didn't, I sang on the weekends with my dad and then I started really making money when the country concert started to come through our amphitheater and I opened up for Alan Jackson and Brooks and Dunn when I was 12. Same show? Different shows. Okay. Um, and I started making money, real money then. Were you able to meet them? Because sometimes when that happens, you're not able to meet the, the star. No, not at that point. Mm-mm. So you're, I was, you're 12 years old, but you're opening. Do your friends go, wow. Because people who watch it from afar, and I find this to be with me as well, people are like, wow, it's so crazy. You're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, man, if you really knew the, the nuts and bolts of it, yeah. you wouldn't think it was that glamorous. It's not glitz and gla- as much glitz and glam as everyone thinks it is. Did for all sure. your friends think you are going to be famous at 12 when you're opening for Brooks you and know, Dunn? Back then, it wasn't like country was cool like it is mm. now, you know? So I think that my friends were like, oh, you're going to go and sing country music, <laughs> you know? Like, they didn't think that it was cool like it is now. So I don't think they really cared that much. So you're from near West Palm, right? Yes, I'm from West Palm. And so your dad's playing in a country band. Mm-hmm. When you start singing with him, I'm sure he loves it. But does he say, hey, this music career, I don't know if it's something you want to get into. Or is he going, let's go, you got this. He was definitely um, nervous for me to get into it, but he his whole thing was you can do whatever you want, but you have to go to college first. So in Florida, the, the Florida lottery pays a lot of bright future scholarships for students who do well in high school. Wait, so tell me about that. I didn't yeah. I didn't know Florida and Arkansas, we got nothing. You get a <laughs> you get some hay and they go, Oh, you can't go to school, you need to go work at the farm. <laughs> yeah. So here's your hay. Uh, yeah, so the Florida Lottery in Florida, they they give all of the money that is not used to give to the lottery winner, and it goes all into scholarships. Wow. It's called the Florida Bright Future Scholarship. And you got that? And I got one of them, yes. Was it because your grades were so good or, or because you had like a, ta- like a talent show for the lottery people? No, it's, it's for grades. It's all based on academics. So you're a smart kid? I tried really hard. And you went to school at the University of Florida. I did. Which is awesome, right? It was so fun. I was there when Tim Tebow was there. So we got to do a lot of, you know, just being there for SEC championships and and getting to see Tim do what he did. Were you there when they won a national championship? Yes. Yes, I was. And basketball one year too. Dang, you got a a football and a basketball championship? Yeah. I'm so jealous. Were you there? Do you remember when Tebow gave the speech after they lost? And he's like, well, no one's going to work harder than us. Uh, and then they went and won the freaking national championship. You ever met him, by the way? Oh, yeah. But yeah. Isn't he the greatest? He's so great. He's so great. He's he's the most dedicated person ever. He's a passionate guy all the time. If he's talking to you about something that you care about or something he cares about. Yeah. Like Tebow, he like stares a hole in you. He's so passionate. Just everything that I'd ever seen about him on TV, I was like, I don't know about this guy. But then I met him. And now I've met him a few times. I, yeah. I love him. He's a, he's a good dude. I remember he was he had just won the Heisman when I was just on American Idol. And 
that whole process was difficult for me um, just because... The idol kind of, process? The idol process, What, what happened yeah. that wasn't good? Because I, I didn't know anything about it. What happened that wasn't yeah. good? Yeah. Well, they just portrayed me in a way that mm. wasn't me. The producers got you. The producers got me. Yeah. What happened? What 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 did they portray you as? Uh, Just kind of a ditz. Okay, blonde hair. Yeah. Florida girl. They just went with it. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, everyone has a goofy side. I'm a total goofball. Mm-hmm. But... I'm, that's not all that there is to me. And they kind of just, just honed in on that. And, you know, I'm at a school where it's all about academics. And all of a sudden, it's my freshman year. And this huge global phenomenon of a show comes on and depicts me as a, in a certain way. I'm in all of these clubs, like all of these leadership clubs that are like really hard to get into. And all of a sudden, people look at me in a completely different way. That sucks. And it was really hard. And and Tim actually called me during that. We were friends. We had mutual friends. And he called me during that. And he was like, girl, I see what they did here. And he was like, I'm, you, you got to keep moving after this. He was like, you have the talent to do it. And I just want to let you know that I see you. And you just got to keep going. I thought that was really nice. I thought it was really cool of him. I bet those are some life lessons you learned at, a, at an early age, too, of... To not let people control your narrative. Bobby, yes. I mean, I was 18 when I learned that. And it was a hard lesson to learn. But there's there's been a lot of lessons mm. along the way that... I hate that for you, but hopping on a show and those... Because they really won't do that now. I mean, no. it's, it, just the, the landscape is, is completely different with that show. And I've only been involved for four years now, but... That would never happen now. No, I mean that's I love I love American Idol now. I really do. It's I, and there's no hard feelings either. They taught me they taught me lessons. I would have hard feelings. <laughs> I'd I'd be pissed. So you go to school and people see you and they're like, oh. So but then what happens at school? Are you do you just write it out? Yeah, I mean you know at the end of the day that stuff goes away and I was still who I was and I still you know I finished school did I did my four years and I moved. I, after I graduated, I spent nine months in Florida. I started as a bartender. So you did graduate? I graduated. What's your degree in? It's in business with a concentration in marketing and mass communication. Okay. So you did all that. Was that your dad going, hey, get a degree? But, but yes. while you're learning, you're like, I'm just getting the degree yeah. so I can go do music. Totally. And the whole time that I was in college, I mean, really what, what helped with all the American Idol stuff was after that, I became, I just became the singer for everything. So... We did a lot of stuff with Children's Miracle Network. We had dance marathon at my college, and I sang at that function every single year I was there. I um, got to open up for Leonard Skinnerd my freshman year at uh, Gator Growl at like our big pep rally, and I kind of just became like the singer of the school. And obviously, I was going to school and getting a, getting a degree, but I was still doing me. So you finish. You want to go sing. When does it happen where you go, you know what, screw it. I got to go to Nashville because that's where all the decisions are made. Totally. Well, I knew I had to get to Nashville, but the question was how. I just, I didn't have the financial anything to to go. So I was like, how am I going to do this? So I was like, I know how to bartend. So I started bartending at our local line dancing bar. And in Florida. In Florida. In, in West Palm. Okay, back, back home, in my home, hometown. Home, home, got it. I moved home, moved in with mom. I'm like, I'm going to be a roommate for the next year, probably, while I save up money to move to Nashville. And um, I had friends that went to this line dancing bar, and I had grown up singing there. So I was like, cool, I'll see if I can bartend. Started bartending and started meeting a bunch of people who were spending a lot of time in Nashville and then spending time in West Palm. And um, and I was singing out, or I was bartending outside one day, and there was a, a guy playing acoustic guitar and singing for like a happy hour kind of vibe. And he went on a break, and I was like, "Hey, do you mind if I play some guitar and sing?" And he, he was like, "I mean, you're the bartender. Can you do that?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's what I do." But yeah, totally. He's like, "Cool." So he hands me the guitar, and I get up and I'm singing. And so plugged in, plugged and in. Place people, people are there. People are there. Yeah. yeah. And um, my manager walks out, and I'm like oh, no, I'm going to get in trouble. And he was like, girl, what are you doing? And I was like, I know, I just, everyone's good at the bar, I swear. No one's walked in since I've been up here. It's all good. And he's like, no, what are you doing bartending here? And I was like, well, I'm trying to save up to move to Nashville. He's like, we can probably get you connected with some some places where you can be singing to earn money to move to Nashville. I was like, sweet. So a month after that, I'm singing five nights a week 
four hours a night. And that's a lot of singing. You know, your voice goes through a lot. It's growing, your muscles growing. And I think I was probably nine months into that. And I see my dad crying in the audience of one of the tiki bars I'm singing at. And I like was like, I'm going to take a break. I get off stage. I'm like, dad, what's up? He's like, honey, you found your voice. <laughs> so he was crying because he was moved yeah. with happiness. Yeah. He was like, you've, you've found that thing in your voice that, that makes you you. And he's like, I think it's time for you to move to Nashville. And I was like, oh, I haven't told you this, but I think it's time to move to Nashville too. I just found a roommate. So, uh, so Who's your roommate? Is somebody still here? Y- yeah, it's yeah, Mickey we're Guyton. still friends. It's <laughs> no. not. I mean, you know what I'm saying? No. It is. I just, but how did you find a roommate? What was that situation? So I actually interned at GAC. Do you remember GAC? I do, Great American Country, the channel. It yeah. was like CMT's was like little brother. 100%, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, I interned there between junior and senior year of college just to see, like, do I love Nashville? Do I like Nashville? Is this a place that I want to live? And um, I was working there, and during CMA Fest, my roommate was also working for GAC, who wasn't my roommate at the time, but her name is Morgan, and she um, is from Nashville, and she was working there, and we became great friends. And I contacted her to be like, hey, do you know anyone who's looking for a roommate in Nashville? She's like, actually, I'm looking for a roommate. I was like, rad. So we, she found us a place, and we moved in. When you got to Nashville and you started to see other people that were just you from different parts of the country. Yeah. And they were elite at where they came from and you're all starting to gather. Was that more intimidating or inspiring to you? So inspiring. It was awesome. Really? Yeah. I mean, I grew up, my hometown is is strange. I don't know if you know this, but um, Cassidy Pope and I are from the same hometown. You know, I knew that you guys knew each other way back. I didn't know if it was way back in Nashville early days or if it was back home home. Back home home. So Cassidy Pope, me, and this huge writer who's written everything from Havana for Camila Cabela to, you know, Justin Bieber songs to What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger for Kelly Clarkson. Her name is Ali Tamposi. She's in LA. She's killing it. And we're all from the same hometown and we all had the same voice teacher. So I kind of came from a place where, you know, everyone around you is just so good and it's not about comparing yourself to anybody else. It's, it's everyone has their own thing, you know? And if you don't have your own thing, that's kind of your, that's kind of your problem. Yeah. You know? That's on you. Yeah, that's on you. So coming to a city where, you know, this whole town is just filled with people that are so good at what they do everywhere from artists to musicians to, you know, people in the industry. And so to me, I felt like I had kind of found my zebras you know, like you kind of find the the people that that make you move and that inspire you. How long were you here until people started to notice you? Maybe not as just a singer or just enough to go, hey, we may actually pay you to do this on a much, much higher level. Because you got to pay the bills here. Were you singing or were you uh, playing the bars around uh, music or uh, Broadway? Yeah. So uh, the original thing that I told my family was I'm going to I'm going to be in Nashville for two weeks out of the month, try to meet people and write, and then I'm going to fly to Florida and do two weeks down there of still doing my normal show so I can still make money and not have a nine-to-five up in Nashville. So that was like the plan, and I did that for two and a half years until I got my publishing deal. did it for two and a half years? Yeah. You are flying back and forth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a lot of of flying (laughs) points. Um, But that's, you know, that's just, I wanted to dedicate my whole life to music, and that was the only way I knew how to do that at that point. So I I did it. And it was just, you know, the the flights weren't that bad. I had a connection in between um, on the way there and back. But they flew me right into some PBI, which is 10 minutes from my house in West Palm. So, so that what worked. were you doing here then for those two weeks? Were you playing writer's rounds? Were you? I was meet. Yeah, I was playing writer's rounds. I was going to Whiskey Jam. I was, you know, writing with people. The first night I got to Nashville, my dad wanted to go down to Tootsie's. So we got down there and a couple of beers in, I somehow end up on stage. I truly don't remember how it happened. I just remember being on stage and they were like, Hey, do you want to do you want a job here? After I sang a few songs and I was like, I don't know. I just got here. I don't know what, what the hell I'm doing. And they're like, come to open auditions on Saturday. 
So I ended up going to open auditions and the band leader for all of like Tootsie's and a bunch of the bars down there, his name was Greg Humphrey. And he was like, you know, you're hired <laughs> like during the audition. And then afterwards he came up to me and he was like, honey, you know, singing at Tootsie's, this is honky tonk school. And I have a feeling that you've already been to honky tonk school. So what else do you want to do here in Nashville? And I was like, well, I've been riding by myself, but I really want to learn the Nashville way of writing a song. And he's like, what are you doing on Tuesday? I was like, I literally have no friends or plans. He's like, cool. So uh, we started writing together and he introduced me to a lot of his writing friends and then their writing friends introduced me to that, to theirs. And soon I had a writing community very quickly after I moved here. I had this writing community that I would come in, I would just book my own rights with my friends and we would go and write songs and then I would go fly home to Florida and do shows and do it all over again. So you get a publishing deal after being here for two and a half years. That Yeah. Did that seem like an eternity? Two and a half years and it's like, I, I'm st- or no? No, I didn't even feel ready at two really? and a half years. Yeah, because I got my publishing deal and then immediately got a record deal. And I will say that when I got to Nashville, I knew that I knew my voice. Like I knew how to control my voice and, and what I wanted my voice to sound like. But I didn't really know like what I wanted to say yet or really what I wanted like the sound of my music to be. And that took me like eight years to figure that out. So when I got here and started getting offers at two and a half years, I I didn't feel ready yet. But I just felt like this is the way that, you know, this doesn't happen normally. So I just kind of have to go with the flow and figure it out along the way. I think the last time that we saw each other, no. One of the last times, because I saw you and Hitler. I've seen you guys out. But, yeah. But b- before that, we did a show together in maybe Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I think that was the, except for the couple times that I've run into you and Hillary, that was the last time I had seen you music related. Yeah. And I was always like, what's, what's Brooke doing? It's been four years since you put out any music. Yeah. So why, why such a substantial amount of time? So I don't, I don't think that you even know about this, but I'm on the road, you know, doing festival after festival. We're getting three hours of sleep a night for like five nights in a row. And it's crazy. And I'm like getting sick. I'll get sick before shows. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to my doctor. My iron was low and they were just giving me test after test and nothing was coming back conclusive. So after like four years of testing, they found out that I had ulcers in my small intestine. And my doctor was like, listen, there's no magic pill to to heal this. Like you have to go home nine hours of sleep a night, no alcohol intake, strict diet. Like you can't be doing this on the road. You have to let yourself heal. So that's where it started. You know, it started with it was life or death kind of. And it was like I needed to heal my body and take that time. And then it was right around that time that I met Hillary and my girlfriend Hillary. And like that changed my life drastically for the better, but it was still a lot that I had to figure out about me. And then at the same time, my record label was being bought out by a new company. So we had all new leaders that were coming into my record label. And those leaders were like, yo girl, we love your voice. We don't feel like this music is you. Go and and do what you want to do. Go write the music that you want to write. And that was really the first time that anyone had said that to me. So the the break consisted of a lot of different variables. But um, health, getting my sound together, and then figuring out who the heck I was as a person. Are you healthy now? I'm so healthy now. I'm the healthiest I've ever been. Did that time, is that what did it? Time and just chilling for a bit? Yeah. You know, sometimes they say time heals all wounds. It's It could not be more true for me. I really needed that time. Did you meet Hillary in Nashville? You had to meet her in Nashville, not I Florida, did. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met her in Nashville. She actually uh, worked on my promo team for, for my, my radio team. And that's where we she met. She worked at Broken Bow? She did, yeah. I guess when I knew her, is she worked for Garth? She works for Garth now. Okay. Yeah. I've only known her working for Garth. Yes. So I guess I did not know her when she was working at Broken Bow. Yeah, it was her first job when she got to town, and she loved it. I mean, of course, it's it's a great place to be um, at Broken Bow, but um, Garth called, and when Garth calls, you yeah, just you say do. yes. Whatever, yes, sir, whatever. Whatever <laughs> yes. you need me to do. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, the goat. 
Uh, I want to play, before we go further, I want to play some of uh, some your new, sh- new song here. This is uh, No Shade from Brooke. Now there ain't no shade around here Once you leave the clouds, you're under 80 But anyhow, there ain't no rain All clean Why'd it take so long to leave you in the grip you meet? Now nobody gonna to steal my sunshine But sir, my blue sky gray All I know is at the end of the day Wildflowers grow when there ain't no shade All right, tell me about this song. Like, what does it mean to you? Like, what does it literally mean to you? What does it literally mean yeah, to me? Yeah, literally. Yes. Because um, you wrote it, by the way. I did, yeah. yeah. I wrote this with Stephen Lee Olson and Brandon Day over Zoom in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, it was a recent write then? It was a recent write, yeah. yeah. We actually, we wrote it in July, three days before we were going into the studio. And um, we, it was our first time writing, the three of us. So it was kind of like the recipe for not having, not getting the song. And it was just... The right recipe for getting the song in the end. And um, this song to me is about coming out of a dark place. So for me, coming out of a, a, tult- a tumultuous relationship where, you know, it's kind of like when you are in a relationship that isn't good, you don't realize it for a long time. You almost don't realize it until you're out of it. And um, my best friend was on her way to my house that day. She was with an entire U-Haul of all of her stuff because she had found out that her boyfriend of three years had cheated on her for the third time. Um, but this was just the first time that she felt strong enough that she could leave. And I was really proud of her that day. And all I wanted her to feel was not like, I didn't want her to feel like she hated him. And I didn't want her to feel like she was mad at him. I just wanted her to feel like I'm so past that. You know, and I've been in that place before too. You know, I've been in that place where I've been in a relationship that wasn't right for me. And then you get on the other side and you're like, man, there's, there's no rain over here. I just, I just had to pull myself from my underneath that cloud. Um, and so for me, you know, it was important for me to put out this song first because I feel like we all are kind of coming out from under a cloud of 2020. And I think that a lot of us had to kind of see parts of us that we didn't want to have to see last year. Just being able to to slow down and and the y- you had to slow down. There was there was no other possibility. And you know, I think that 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 causes you to really get introspective and and see what your life is about. And I think that everyone had a hard time last year. And seeing people you know so sick around you puts you in a dark dark place. And um, I just, I wanted to bring some sunshine to people. And I think that this song has a lot of hope in it and a lot of light in it. You have two other ones coming out? Yeah. Not out yet. This is the only one out yet. Yes. What's the plan with those other two? The next one comes out um, March 5th. It's called Sunroof. And the one after that comes out April 9th. And that's called Got No Choice. And those are both in the same vein sonically as far as, you know, kind of like a retro soulful country sound, um, all produced by Jesse Frazier. And, you know, I just wanted it to feel happy and sunny and just like groovy vibe that makes you feel good. And um, all of the songs definitely have meat in them where, you know, you can have a deep moment, but they're all kind of masked in this like happy sounding um, sound. Well, I'm glad you're back. Thank you, Bobby. Me too. I'm glad you're back. Uh, You guys can follow Brooke at Brooke Eden Music. Check out No Shade or by the time you hear this, because this will be up almost immediately. But uh, check out the new songs because you may be hearing this three, four months from now. You know how podcasts live. They live forever. (laughs) So I'm I'm proud that you're back and healthy and, you know, haven't seen you. I guess maybe CMAs, not this last year, but after the CMAs, is that what we saw each other? Was it CMT Awards? Maybe. It's one of those awards yeah. with letters on it. I don't <laughs> know. It's one of those. But yes. I, I'm glad you're back. Thank you so much, Bobby. Um, congratulations. And I'm happy to be here. I see you splashing. I see you hitting everywhere, and it's great. It's it's great to see. Thank so, you. All right, there she is. Brooke, good to talk to you, and uh, back in just a second. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. 
All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like, it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. I saw this article about whether or not it's possible to retire off the royalties of a song, right? You write a song, it's number one hit, can you retire? If you write a number one hit now, let's say you're a new artist like Jordan Davis, and he's got that song, if he ever singles you up, you know that song? Yeah, of course. Eddie's here, by the way. Yo, what's up? You you, you can't (laughs) retire off of that. What I've heard a lot of different, you know, like I'm gonna tell you why because you got three writers for the most part. A number one song roughly is a million dollars. You'll say you split it three ways, three hundred thousand dollars. You get published companies, you got to get their their nut back first. You got to get taxes taken out of it. So you're roughly gonna end up with like a hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Not bad. Oh, great. Not saying that, but you're not able to retire off of it, right. off of a number one song, right? So tell me what nonsense you heard now. No, that was it. That was gonna nice. talk. I was gonna talk. I was gonna say that usually you split it three ways, and then once everyone gets her cut, I mean, I, I've heard less than that. It for is mostly sometimes. like around sixty thousand dollars is kind of your first number one check. Yes, your first because you have to pay back all your publishing yeah. deal. But here's the thing too: like you worry about you know how long these these songs are gonna last in people's minds. These number ones, man, they come in, they fly, and people forget about them. So really, you're just trying to get your bang for the buck right away as, as fast as you can. And if it's your first song, let's say you have a publishing deal and they're paying you 50 grand a year to write. You got to pay that 50 grand back. You do. First. It's a loaner. Yeah. It's a loan. You don't have to pay the loan back, but if you make any money, you have to pay the money back. You know, if you make no money ever, you don't owe them $50,000. Right, but they'll drop you. They'll be like, all yes. right, you did nothing for us. Thank you. But you got paid. <laughs> you got your 50 grand. Uh, so this whole article, which was on celebritynetworth.com says, listen, it's possible if you write a big one, right? And so they also had this 10 richest songs of all time, meaning these songs have produced enough money through royalties, endorsements, streams, 
to make the songwriters and their heirs at times extremely wealthy. So the list was interesting. I thought it deserved its own little segment here. And when we do music segments, I like to bring Eddie in for this. So if you're interested in making a lot of money off songwriting, remember these three tricks, right? Number one, write a Christmas song. Oh, because you're going to use it every year. It's going to pop every year. Yep. It's a bit saturated now in country music because everybody's got a Christmas album. But if you can get one that hits, it's going to stick around. And and these are original Christmas songs. You can't, these aren't covers of Jingle Bells. These are the original ones. So I said write a Christmas song. Yes. Number two, write a timeless love song. Aww. Because again, monster love songs from this Unchained Melody still Mm -hmm. making money. Uh, Or get your song featured in a movie. That's huge. Mm hmm. And if you really want to hit the jackpot, write a Christmas love song that gets put in a movie. <laughs> the trifecta. So, so let's look at the uh, top 10 richest songs of all times. Okay, here we go. Song royalties 101, okay? Music royalties are payments that the rights holders, that would be the songwriter, the composer, the recording artist, the, that they get to license their music. Right? Like, I'm going to sell you the music. You don't get to keep it and own it, but you can use it for this amount of time. Yeah, basically. they usually say how much how much time you can you have to use it. And they're paid out through people that use the music, like TV channels, radio stations. Like our company has signed a deal to play music, uh, venues, streaming platforms. Now it's kind of wild west. We're trying to figure it out as we go because there are so many platforms popping up. Yes. Twitch had to pull a Metallica concert the other day. He's played generic music and played generic like dopey <laughs> elevator music while Metallica's rocking out. Saw that because <laughs> they they didn't have the rights to it and they don't want to get sued. So sometimes a user will pay royalties directly to the rights holders. There's la- there's just a lot. I just want to explain. There's a lot of ways mo- money's moving around. Yeah. But it's mostly licensed through you can borrow it for this amount of time, and this is how much it costs, but then it's back. It's mine again. And for the everyday person, too, like if you think like, oh, well, I'm a nobody. I can just use this in my video or whatever. They've created such good technology now because back in the day, it was a person. It was a person going – to every bar and checking every jukebox and how many times this song played and, you know, like, are you paying licensing to, you know, Alan Jackson for playing Chattahoochee? Ah, no, you're not. You're getting charged. But now there's so, there's such good technology that it flags on the Internet, anywhere it's sold or anywhere it's used, streamed or whatever. They know exactly when this song is played. There are two types of music rights. There's master and composition. Do you know the difference? Uh, I'm assuming composition is the songwriter. Boom. And then the masters. Publishers, songwriters, and publishers. Sure. And then masters. Is your artist. Recording. Recording. Mm-hmm. Basically, right? This is, gets into way many weeds, but I'm going to try to keep it on the edge of the top of the weeds. You're doing a good job so far. Thank you. Uh, so royalties are paid out for recording and for compositions. The water gets murkier, but I'm going to drop it off. I'm just giving you this, <laughs> that, giving you that base to go into. People have to understand that everyone wants a little bit out of what they mm-hmm. put into that song. So, that being said, that's the legal jargon. That's what you hear at the end of a commercial. It's like, uh, no purchase necessary. <laughs> it's not all the way there, but just so people get it. Uh, okay, here we go. The 10 richest songs of all time. At number 10 from 1944, The Christmas Song by Mel Torme. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. He wrote the music. He wrote, that's why we all know the song. But he wrote it. Everybody keeps cutting this song. Every time they cut it. He gets the composition money for it. Somebody does. He's dead. Right, but he gets it. Like he, his his body. Well, his body's dead too. His <laughs> estate. His estate. Yeah, his whoever, organization. Yeah, they get the money. Uh, this this song at number ten has made about twenty million dollars. Isn't that crazy? Roy Orbison and Billy Dees when they did Pretty Woman in 1964. Really? So this song was massive. When it was put out initially in the 60s. But then think about when the movie Pretty Woman comes out, and it's basically the biggest movie of the 80s. And I believe Van Halen covered this song, too. It was a pretty good hit for them. Interesting 80s reference. Well, boost. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm good for those. Uh, it's, it makes about 100000 200000 per year still, 50 Gosh. years later. But again, it's made about $20 bucks as well. At number eight, and there are some semi-contemporary songs in here. At number eight, Every Breath You Take, Sting. Ooh. It was one of the biggest hits in 1983. Spent eight weeks on the Billboard Hot 100. Every Breath You Take, number 25 of the top 100 songs of all time. Puff Daddy, put it, I'll be missing you. You've got to give him a lot of credit. When this song was probably dying a little bit, Puffy brought it back to life. It produces about 2000 bucks a day. 
or $730,000 a year for Sting. He wrote it all by himself. It's oh, amazing. Isn't that crazy? 100%. So cool. That's crazy. That's because a lot of these are really old. That one is not. No. I mean, relatively speaking, 80s. 1983. Right? Yeah, it's not bad. At number seven, Heaven Gillespie and Fred J. Coots. In 1934, they wrote Santa Claus is Coming to Town, <laughs> making 25 million bucks. Oh, my goodness. It's the. And, we all know it. Of course. We're everywhere. Do it. I crave this Christmas time. And every time I sing it, even when I'm by myself, I send him a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody charges. At number six, Ben E. King, Jerry mm. Lieber, and Mike Stoller, they wrote Stand By Me. So darling, darling, stand by me. Estimated earnings of the song, $27 million. Did you know... 20 years later, movie Stand By Me, 1986 was a big one. Was that, uh, was Morgan Freeman? No. No, that was Lean, Lean On, on me. me. And then Stand By Me was the kids going yep. in. The, yeah. River Phoenix and Corey Feldman. Um, did you know that when, you, of course you knew this, but when we cover, because we cover the song Raging Idiots, mm-hmm. when we play at the venue, they're supposed to, document what we play, and if it's a cover, they submit it, mm-hmm. and then... Benny King and those two people that you mentioned get paid for us singing that in the in the auditorium or and whatever. Maybe three bucks. Yeah, I mean it's not yeah. much, but they get something. What's supposed to happen is a set, a, an official set list is given to the promoter. It's supposed to happen. And then the promoter submits the set list. We're supposed to actually be paid back for our own songs too. <laughs> I know. I, I don't know that that happens honestly. Well, I, you know, because I met with the, I don't know a publisher or something that I have a deal with or something, and they. A couple years back, they're like, will you save all your set lists? I'm like, of course I will. Dude, two years after touring, I'm like, I, I didn't save one set list. <laughs> Oops. I mean, I probably have someone Word document. I can probably fake a few up real quick. <laughs> but we're playing published music, so that would mean we, uh, the masters, the composition, we wrote them. Yeah, all that. We should get paid like, for performing our own music. I guess I should have saved those set lists. <laughs> Unless, uh, instead, we give them to fans. Here you go. Yeah. Take it. Uh, Alex no- North and Hey Zarrett in 1955. Hey, here you go, Unchained Melody. $27.5 million. Um, Thank you, Ghost. Been, and, and, yeah, well, I was going to say. <laughs> Thank you, Ghost. Massive hit, then Ghost, and now it gets randomly brought into movies, just period, in the love scene. John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Oh, gosh. Wrote yesterday, 1965, estimated earnings $30 million. Bones, and I wouldn't even say that this one is because of sync or, like, TV or anything. Like, sure, I'm sure it's used sometimes, but, I mean, I just think the Beatles just get streamed still so much. I, well, the streaming, the Beatles have only been on streaming for a couple of years because they were one of the last ones to go. Were they? And downloads. Yeah, it was a big deal when Spotify and, and Apple Music finally got them. They're making money now, I'm sure, but <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a, a bit of, of a, I don't know that their digital money is crushing like you would think. Because I can't think of a t- like a movie scene or anything where I've heard yesterday. I mean, really. the Beatles were just bought so much. Yeah. But you're right. I don't know. You know, the crazy thing about this, Paul McCartney, for the most part, says he wrote this whole song, right? But they had a deal, McCartney-Lennon, to both be Lennon-McCartney when they for, wrote the songs. For really? Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that. And so Paul McCartney wrote most of the song, and he went to Yoko after Paul. He's like, hey, can we switch this? Let's be honest. I wrote the whole song. And Yoko was like, no. We're keeping it Lennon-McCartney. She's made millions off royalties I of this song. I bet she has. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I don't know. I can't think of a movie... They made that whole movie called Yesterday. Yeah, yeah but recent. like 11 people but watched, who watched that. Let's be <laughs> yeah, who watched I watched that it. It's movie. pretty terrible. Yeah, I remember Mike, I was like, it looks great. The guy like knows the Beatles and nobody else does, right? Yeah, it's awful. And I was like, Mike, I can't wait to watch it. He's like, uh-uh. <laughs> Don't watch <laughs> Don't it. Don't watch Thank it. you, Mike. He's like, you can wait. Uh, Barry Manilow, Cynthia Wheel, and Phil Spector wrote, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. Movies galore. Who sings that song? Uh, the ever... Uh, Oh, the Everly, right? Maybe, maybe that's not. I'm just going by something that's coming out of my head. Mike, who wrote? You, who sings? You lost that loving feeling. 
The Righteous Brothers. The Righteous Brothers. I That's knew it was crazy. Brothers. When you wrote, mentioned these writers, I'm like, really? These guys wrote that song? Bar- yeah, Bar- it's not Barry Manilow. It's Barry Man. Sorry. Okay, I was like, Barry Manilow wrote this <laughs> song? Mind my blown. Bad. My bad, my bad. I just thought, <laughs> sometimes halfway through a word, I give up sometimes reading. I just go to the next thought. <laughs> and then it doesn't matter what you're talking about, but when you say Phil Spector, my mind just goes to like, ooh, that dude's a murderer, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Husband and wife songwriters Barry Mann and Cynthia Will wrote the song with producer and convicted murderer. He may have died recently, too. He's dead. Really? Bill, Bill Spector. The Righteous Brothers. It was in Top Gun, right? It was already a hit, then it was oh, in Top yeah. Gun. Dang. Most played song in radio history, this is. Did you know that? Nope. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We should play it tomorrow on the show. <laughs> hey, we don't need to give Bill, Bill Spector any money. <laughs> We have two songs left, Eddie. Any guesses as to? Uh, it's tough. It's I'm just like going, hey, guess the number one through a thousand. Yeah, I know. I mean, what I'll, number would you guess though? One through a thousand. One through a thousand. I go uh, for you. Sixty nine six. No, sorry. It's four hundred forty four. Anyway, can you name either one of these? I'm gonna have to just lean towards a Christmas song for one of them. And go ahead. Guess a guess the Christmas song that you think you'd put on. I, I would go with um, Mariah Carey's. Mm. Didn't make the top ten. I'm sure it's made her a bunch of money. You're right. One of them is a Christmas song. At number two, White Christmas. Dang, that was on my mind. By Irving Berlin has made $36 million. Excuse me, one writer. Mm-hmm. Must have been a Hollywood writer because they made they made that for a movie. No song captures the heart of the holidays like White Christmas. This is iconic. And it's also ironic when you consider the fact that it was written by a Jewish immigrant from Russia. Bing Crosby's version is by far the most famous, but countless artists have recorded it. <laughs> Over 100 million copies sold worldwide. This is pretty ironic. What song is known to everyone as number one? It's made 50 million. It's the most, it's made more, I mean, 36 is two, 50 is number one. What song in royalties has made oh $50 million? Gosh. It brings in $5,000 a day, $2 million a year in royalties. It costs $25,000 to use this next song in a movie or TV show, which is often why you see actors sing an odd, changed-up version of it on screen. This also explains why chain restaurants sing their own custom version. Chain restaurants? There's a lot of good hints in there. (laughs) You may not even realize this, but it's technically illegal to sing this song in a large group of unrelated people, like an office party, without paying a royalty. Got it. But I know what it is. But this has got to be free by now, right? No. The copyright for Happy Birthday... Expires in 2030 in the United States, and I believe it has expired in Europe already. I believe so. Like 2016, 2017, it ended there. Dude, 2030. We we are almost there. But then you can have a happy birthday. Here you go. Your number one song, 1893. It was written. Happy birthday. Hmm. The original. That's the original on piano. Were there words to it? Nope. Oh, oh, they like Scooby-Doo on Channel 4. <laughs> hey, so the person who did the words, though, should probably get a little bit of credit, too, right? Because, like, whenever part of the happy birthday song is like, happy birthday, dear Bobby. Like, that's unique. This guy just sounds like he just did it on the piano. Who's the, who was the know. first guy that said, we got to put a name right in there? I don't know who wrote the words. Do you, Mike? I don't know. Yeah, me either. What if those aren't even the official words? <laughs> <laughs> the guy's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. There you go. Those are your uh, big moneymaker songs. So write you a song that's about Christmas or that's a love song or that's about falling in love at Christmas. Should we just rewrite Happy Birthday at some point, People too? People have done that. And w- happy birthday hey. to you. Yeah. Happy birthday. And then Chili's does a happy, happy birthday, you know. And then it's not yeah, working. Or... or no, I think that's it. <laughs> that's it. Everything else has failed. Eddie, promote your podcast, buddy. The Sore Losers Podcast, me, Lunchbox, and Ray. We're just three dudes talking about sports and among other things. We like to gamble. It's a fun podcast guaranteed to laugh over it being stupid what or funny, whatever. Laugh? No, you'll laugh. I mean, we say some of the most outrageous stuff that we're just like, how do we even come up with this crap? You guaranteed it, though. I'm telling you, we'll make you laugh. Like, I go back and listen, and I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm laughing. All right, there you go. Sore losers. Do you ever think you guys branch off and just go do your own thing? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think we both, ha- we all have, like, our unique things that we could branch off to no, do. No, 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 I'm saying the sore losers leaves the Bobby Bones show. No, stop it. No, I'm serious. No, stop it. 
No. I think that I, I think we're on to something here. I, I think mm-hmm. you're talking just just. You gibberish. risk it. No, you have to take it step back. Sometimes take a step forward. They have been talking to us about possibly going on like Fox Sports and doing an episode and seeing how it works. Great. So we'll see. I don't know. Love it. And then you, go, you guys can go and save me some money on this budget here. And- <laughs> no. I'll, I'll pack your stuff, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like it here. <laughs> what are you talking up, about? Baby. <laughs> Stop that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Check out the store losers. Bye, everybody. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacova's.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tacovas dot com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.